On episode 72 of DevTalk, I speak to Peter Gfader about the human side of software engineering. Welcome to another episode of DevTalk. My name is Kerry Lothrop, and today's guest is Peter Gfader. Peter is a, a friend of mine. We used to work together at Zulke, and two years ago, he set off on his own adventures. He's now uh, working uh, self-employed and describes himself as a silo thinking breaker. <laughs> this is very intriguing, Peter. Hello. Hello. Hi, Kerry. How are you doing? I am great. How is it in Zurich? Uh, perfect. Uh, we have not not too bad weather. I mean, it's raining outside. That's perfect for a, a nice home office day. <laughs> and so that all is well. Thanks for having me, by the way. Yeah, thank you for being my guest. Uh, it's the uh, end of August that we're recording, and uh, the summer has, seems to have vanished here in Germany, but uh, we're, mm. we're going to have a nice fall, I'm sure. Hopefully, yeah. Let's bring uh, back the summer. Peter, you, I know you're a hardcore techie, but lately, or since you uh, left our company, you have focused more on the human side of things. Mm. Uh, mm -hmm. What is it that people call you for? How do you help software teams become better software teams? In whatever they're doing. <laughs> uh, that's interesting um, because uh, I made this realization some years ago when I was working for an insurance company. They called us in uh, back at the time I was working for Zulke and it was a technical problem that they, are they were struggling with. Mm -hmm. And uh, we were dissecting that, di diving into the deep ends of the technology stack, um, in the tools, in the libraries and, and whatnot. And uh, my realization was, I think it's most often more a social problem than a technical problem that we are facing, especially with the, the software teams that I, that I see or visit. Why do I say that? I say that because um, I think typically that the technical problems that the teams solve that I'm working with are on the application level and not on the deep ends of the CPU, firmware, or low technical deep ends. And yeah. in my experience on the application level, it's often or very often a social problem because you need to talk to the users, you need to incorporate a lot of stakeholders, let's call them on, with air quotes. Um, you need to collaborate with them. You need to find out, are we building the right thing? Uh, are we right, uh, solving the right problem? What's the user need? Um, how can we know that the user is actually having that problem? Um, so this is the outside perspective. Mm -hmm. And then the in inside perspective is usually... How do we get better in whatever we are doing? Um, how do we collaborate over three or four teams? Uh, how can we ensure that uh, from a technology point of view, we're doing the right things uh, and so on? And most often it's, it's more a social, a, a trust, a empathy, a, a this kind of challenge that teams are facing and not so much the technical challenge, I think, yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm more of the the technical person, and I sometimes see these problems too. But mm -hmm. I'm not always sure how to go about solving them, and maybe it's even harder coming in from the outside. How do you how do you recognize these problems, and uh, how do you find solutions for them? 
great question, especially <clears throat> the how do you find solutions? Let me just go back uh, one step to the, to the initial question. So what I usually do is when I go to clients or companies or teams, I have some sort of a, a list, a map, a visible tool, a Trello board, something that I put up on a wall or in a digital form since Corona, um, where I collect smells. Mm -hmm. Now, a smell is something that I observe, and I think this is a little bit off. For example, um, why are we every Monday having a project management uh, steering committee meeting for two hours? Uh, I, I try to be in there, try to observe, try to see what, what is talked about there, and I make mm -hmm. a note somewhere, hey, this is a little smelly to me. Or uh, typically another challenge that I often observe is the test approach. How do we test our product? Um, do we have manual tests? Do we have database tests? Do we have integration tests? Do we have acceptance tests? What kind of test approach do we have? How often do we test our software and stuff like that? And usually okay. there is this is a bit smelly and all these observations that I found smelly, I collect somewhere, make it visible to the whole team or to the whole organization, whatever, who is, is part of that, 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 that thing. And then later on, um, usually after a couple of days, I get one-on-ones with certain people and I ask them, hey, is this observation right from my end? Do you see this as well? Mm -hmm. um, sometimes I do an interview with them and ask them, hey, what is your daily challenge? Um, what motivates you to work here? And this gives me new input and new ideas to actually refine the smells. For example, I see... Um, hey, this is really a problem or ah, this is just a low issue. We don't care about so much about that. And that gives me a lot of smells. And with that smells uh, list, I have these one-on-one -on -one interviews. And secondly, what I do uh, like to do is I have a workshop with everyone. And then we talk about those smells. We, we rank them like, hey, this is really a painful problem for us. Um, how do we have... How do we integrate the software over free teams, um, pull requests or commit messages and um, whatever they're doing? Mm -hmm. And I do a workshop. And here is the, the key regarding the solution for the problem. I try to step out a little bit. So basically I say, okay, this is your problem. I can give you an idea. But for me, it's, it's very important that it's their solution. It's their incentive. It's their experiment that they decide to actually run for the next couple of weeks. So instead of saying, I have a solution for this problem already in my toolbox, here is it. Um, I try to, 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 to bring it up so that they, it's really their buy-in. Because in my experience, that has a huge impact on, uh, hey, it's our solution. We own it. Uh, or let's try this. Um, we, have, we found a tool. We found an approach. We, we cancel a meeting. We do something different. Um, and my experience is very important that it's their, their solution and not my solution. Even if I ask questions to, to, to trigger them in a certain direction, let's say. Yeah. And when you meet together with the whole team and bring up these issues, is it often that people all say, yeah, we, we, we know this is a problem or, uh, and, and maybe they've never spoken about it or, or is that, is it something that's new to everyone or to most people, but you know, What, what, what is the, the, the typical, how does it typically work? Uh, good, great, uh, great question. Um, most often they know it already. Yeah. I'm just there to bring transparency. I'm just there to bring them together. And I think that's one advantage of being an external consultant. I have usually a bit of more, how do you say, it's not power. It's not, 
usually I get invited and then usually someone high up the ranks uh, explains, hey, now Peter is here and he is this and that guy. He has done and this and that. And some parts, most often some people know me already. I had a, a great uh, moment um, two years ago when when the guy, when someone in, in, the, in the in the audience said, "Hey, I know you from Stack Overflow. I know you had a great mm-hmm. question regarding what's a library and what's a framework and what's the difference about those." And I love the the conversation you had there, and that was a great moment for me because in, immediately I had the buy-in from all the developers. So all yeah. the developers were saying, "Okay, this consultant knows what he's talking about. Um, this is going to be great." Mm-hmm. And, this was a great thing that to happen. Um, if that doesn't happen, I usually I need to build up the trust with the developers because um, he, he's another external consultant. He's going to draw PowerPoints a lot and he's going to ask a lot of questions without actually having experience. Mm-hmm. So this is their mindset potentially. Uh, but um, I hope to, 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 to build up the trust with the developers and, and with the whole people um, as soon as possible. And yeah. I think that was not your question. Your question was, what was the the the, the top smell or the? the well, no. How, well, how do people react? React or or so? Is there generally willingness to tackle these problems, or do do people not want things to change? Is that or interesting? Um, yeah. That's a very interesting question. Let me rethink it. The, the couple of um, last experiences I had. So in general, I have to say it's always they want to change something and they are aware mm-hmm. of the problems. Um, one interesting one was here in Zurich. There was two teams from Zürke working with a client and I did a, a, a agile uh, I don't remember what we called it. It was a, some sort of a, hey, um, let's check out the setup of this whole thing and give us give us inspiration. So I went there for a couple of days and I observed them for one week, I think one week or 10 days. And mm-hmm. then I basically, I observed whatever they were doing. And one major challenge was there, um, they were doing a lot of things that a huge backlog with a lot of features in it, um, but the, the loop to the user was completely missing. So they were not okay. incorporating the user at all. So they were not testing or feedback, getting feedback from the user if they're really building the right thing. So the internal people were clear and saying, yeah, this is exactly what the user needs. But the the engineers ha- always had their, their thing and saying, no, this is really just another Excel that we're building now here in the browser with React. And this is really a good idea to build. So um, they knew already that they needed to actually work more or closer with the uh, end user. And mm-hmm. I basically repeated that a lot. Um, I asked a couple of questions regarding collaboration and how they collaborate and if they can, uh, if we can get certain people to attend the sprint reviews or dailies or get them closer to the team. Um, then I think what changed was the close collaboration. Definitely, they, they have chosen some alpha users that they could collaborate earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, but in general, I think the people are willing to change Definitely. The good thing for me is usually they know already a lot of these problems. Maybe they have not done a root cause analysis. So they know roughly, uh, okay, collaboration does not work. Or why are we having so much bugs in our production system? Or uh, why is releasing so hard? So they know already that that on top of the surface, they can, can explain me the problem. But I think this is also something I can help them with to find really the root cause. Is releasing so hard? Is it, why is releasing so hard? Is it because our software architecture is not in the right shape? 
or is our test strategy um, broken or how does our automation work or um, how does testing in general work and how does our branching strategy work and usually I can help there to to find the root cause with a root, root cause analysis workshop or with asking questions yeah yeah well the things you mentioned uh, I wouldn't have categorized those as human factors like uh, the, the types of tests you do or the continuous integration mm -hmm. I mean in the end it all boils down to people who mm -hmm. make the decisions that we want to have uh, acceptance tests but mm -hmm. but uh, how, how much how much are the the people involved here that it, it, Is, is this a, a, a people thing or not? I think it's always a people thing because someone took the decision. And for me, it's yeah. always interesting to find out who took that decision and why. What's the why behind it? And mm -hmm. sometimes it's, we always have done it this way. Sometimes it's uh, our company policy says we have to do it this way. And this is an interesting for me because company policies are very, very interesting. Uh, yeah. Especially they are, we are able to change them. We are able to adapt them and If a company policy says something, we are always able to, to do something about that, mm -hmm. especially if it's an inner, inner company policy. And for me, it's always interesting to find out what, what is the, the scar tissue that happened in the past. So we are now in this situation. And then the, the, it's always a people problem, in my experience. Uh, but you're right. I mean, testing strategy, releasing strategies... Um, these sound very much like a technical software engineering practice. You can do it this way or, or you could process. do it this way. Yeah. Or process, yeah. yeah. But I think okay. the, the root cause or the why behind it is typically um, a people issue. Like a department has taken this decision because in the past something happened and now we need to do it properly. This is a, a, a very common one. Now we have a policy and every team needs to follow this process. Mm -hmm. and, and I found it very interesting because this this is, uh, I think Patrick Lencioni, um, he's a famous author in the, from the US. He has this saying, um, the process is like the scar tissue. So scar tissue in German is the Narbengewebe. I just rem remember, uh, uh, re rephrased it in German because I, I know that you have a lot of uh, uh, German, uh, German listeners. Mm -hmm. Narbengewebe and in scar tissue, I'm not sure if this is a term that a lot of people know. So process is like scar tissue or also like your definition of done is like scar tissue. That means mm -hmm. something in the past happened and now the whole team or the whole organization needs to struggle with it. So now you have this scar tissue. Okay. And I found it very interesting to also go over those and think about how can we get rid of this? How can we not do this anymore? And not doing a lot of things helps the team a lot because they can suddenly focus again on software engineering practices, which are much more interesting, building great products. Hmm. Okay. Do, do you sometimes, so if we're talking about the human side of things, um, um, do you sometimes come across that one person that is the main cause of the problems Uh, in the team, like sometimes uh, it could be somebody in management, uh, or mm -hmm. it, it could also be that one rock star developer who uh, doesn't uh, need anyone's help. Or, or I, I mean, how how much is the? 
I'm wondering if you have encountered these situations or the, these types of people, mm -hmm. or, or how, <laughs> how do you go about solving problems like these? In my experience, there is a, a, a variety of, of issues that can raise. And two that you mentioned um, are common ones, definitely. So the, the second one being the hero, the hero fixing bugs late at night um, yeah. without trying to actually change his thinking or his process because he's always the hero, because mm -hmm. he's always fixing those bugs without thinking, okay. hey, how can we actually prevent them? Or getting the team to be able to fix these problems themselves. Yeah. And, and enabling him to be a coach, not the hero. Yeah. That's a, that's a huge, that's a huge change. And that's very hard because he has always done it this way. Maybe mm -hmm. there's also status with the hero culture because he's a direct report to the CTO because he's mm -hmm. the hero. Yeah. And if you want to change things like that, um, that's very hard. Definitely. And that's a, a social problem. Yeah. And the first you mentioned was about management management so, yeah so that's also sometimes the case like management dictates what to do mm -hmm. without letting the team decide for example mm -hmm. yeah th that's also a very common pattern um the challenge i see here is either managers that ha don't have experience with software and this is actually something i wanted to talk to you about um this this iterative incremental way to build software Mm -hmm. I think this is a very powerful and big advantage of building software because you can start small and slowly grow the system. Yeah. Uh, and if you have not experienced that um, and you come from another industry, like you build construction building or from HR or from marketing or other industries, this whole mm -hmm. iterative incremental way of building things is, is very uh, foreign. And that has a lot of challenges, I think, because then you fall into the thinking of let's make a plan. Let's take a decision regarding the architecture. If everything is clear, we start to code the software up. Mm -hmm. and this is this is completely anti to the the powerful way of working in software because you can find a little slice, build a working skeleton, slowly grow, grow the system, validate assumptions like, hey, does this make sense? Can we actually build it and things like that? And often, or very often, actually, in, at least in the organizations I work with. Managers don't don't have this background, and then it's very hard to 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 build up that trust. And is that part of your job, getting management or teams ready for agile or or more more agile? Yeah, definitely, definitely. Okay. I mean, my job is to help them get better in in order to build better products, mm -hmm. and usually this has an impact on their happiness, so employee happiness. Um, I never actually talked to the management about having this, this as a metric, but I found it always fascinating to say, let's measure the happiness of your employees. And after my engagement, um, I hope that the happiness of the employees goes up by one story point or one star or one out of 10 or something. <laughs> but then you could easily raise that by giving them pizza and alcohol or cake or whatever. So uh, this is this is the, the, the interesting thing about measurements. Um, they are very easy to cheat. But, <laughs> or a fo uh, foosball table, right? Yeah, everyone is happy with the foosball table. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I, I try to work with them and find the, the root causes. What are the main issues? Why are we doing the things the way we are doing them? And that gets interesting because that's always a people problem. Someone took a decision. Something happened in the past. Now we have a hero here. Now we have a separate silo. 
now we have a certain process and everyone needs to struggle with that. And I found that quite interesting, first to discover and second, um, what can we do about it? And in my experience, just to, to find one thinking that I just had in myself is I think the technical practices, they are easier to teach and easier to, to enable the teams and the, the, the people change is, is harder, I think. Because mm -hmm. we're talking about status, we're talking about um, a certain role they have here in the organization. That's usually harder for people to give up. Yeah, I was or just thinking about um, our, our focusing on technology too much in in a lot of places. I believe, for example, <laughs> the job interviews. Mm -hmm. It's uh, well, he doesn't know this C plus plus keyword. Um, <laughs> he doesn't fit in <laughs> mm -hmm. um, and while we should probably find out if he's the kind of person who uh, well who will help a team or who would who, who's interested in learning mm -hmm. and um, asking good questions yeah mm -hmm. yeah I think that uh, speaking of Zilke I think a mixture is quite it's quite interesting mm -hmm. because you need people that uh, act as Let's call them enablers, and you need you also need people that have these um, maybe more focus on the technology side. You need fo people that have a focus on how can we collaborate better. You need people that are also deep in the ends of machine learning or AI or tool or technology or library. So I think the combination is quite interesting. Yeah, if you if you build up a team, yeah. Right. I just read something on Twitter. It was like. Uh... In, in job interviews, they ask, oh, you have experience in uh, in .NET. Do you have experience in .NET 5? And <laughs> it's like, um, it, that part is not so important. If, if you have like, uh, uh, the example here was, was Linus Torvalds. If you put him on a Rails project, <laughs> within four weeks, he would be better than almost anyone who would who would uh, get all your checkboxes from from the interview? You know, he, he mm -hmm. has uh, ten years of Rails experience, and he would excel there too. It's just because of the type of person uh, mm -hmm. that can really dig into something quickly, and it, it doesn't really matter if he's got ten experience in that particular technology or technology version. Even I, mm -hmm. I thought that was an, an interesting thought. Uh, yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, that's uh, interesting because it's about learning. Yeah, how how do you learn faster? Hmm. This is actually uh, one of the things I try to bring into the teams as well. Like, um, usually it's how do we learn faster about definitely technology things. So there is mm -hmm. a developer exchange that we're doing every day where we talk about um, how can we solve this problem with Java Vavra library or in a functional approach or things like that. But on the other yeah. side, there is also the learning about um, how can we, what other strategies are there to test our web app or what other strategies do we have to build up a microservice architecture or how do we come closer to the user? Uh, how can we validate our mockups with the user faster? And this is all about learning. So software engineering, I think, is 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 always a learning problem. How can we learn faster? Mm -hmm. and, and this this resonates on this Twitter conversation resonates that as well. Yeah, because I guess Linus is a fast learner. I assume. <laughs> yeah. Well, the assumption is yeah. <laughs> mm. So you're here. You're in a company for. 
couple of days, couple of weeks, you you give suggestions. Do, do you sometimes check up on these companies like two years later and see how they're doing? Is that common? Yeah, that's... <laughs> This is not common. What I usually do is I have a reminder email. It's it's almost a template, but um, I, I customize it where I mm -hmm. send them an email every couple of months, six months and one year. And basically, hey, guys, how is it going? Um, I found something interesting that you might be interested in. Uh, by the way, how is this initiative going? Are you still estimating in that way? Or are you still running one-week sprints? Or are you, have you actually finally made this architectural change that we discussed um, two weeks ago? So mm -hmm. I, I asked them back. And usually I get an email back um, saying, yeah, we're on track or yeah, we're doing something. But it's not very formal. It's not like I go there and we celebrate it or it's, it's more like just an email. And sometimes I get a follow-up session with them, but that's very rare. That's very rare. Okay. Usually they, they are happy what they are doing at the moment. And if they want to have another engagement, they call me in. But the email is more for them a reminder. Oh, okay. Actually, we should maybe we should still continue to do all these things or we should actually follow up on those things. It depends yeah. a little bit. Yeah. And is there the need to have somebody on on the team permanently that has more of a role like yours? Do you, is that something you can establish maybe when, when you're there or is it definitely yeah definitely yes yes and yes is the, the short answer the longer mm -hmm. answer is this is clearly a scrum master job and here is another challenge that i see with a lot of scrum masters the scrum masters are in my experience not technically enough so mm -hmm. slowly they're fading out when people talk about technical things And I've, in my experience, you don't need to be really a hardcore developer. You need you don't need to know uh, about all the deep ends of how you do um, generics in C sharp or whatnot. But you need to have a rough idea how these things are working. So if people talk about those things, you can ask the right question. And for me, this role is definitely the scrum master. And yes, this is also a job of mine to to coach them, to help them better, to to get better. Actually, I'm preparing a conference talk in that direction. Okay. So the, the top 10 software engineering practices that every Scrum Master needs to know or have a clue about. Huh. So it's a list of top, uh, software engineering practices. And the, the, the idea is that Scrum Master discovers those, learn about those, and later can ask questions about those, like mob programming. Why is mob programming helpful? When is it actually hurting? Would it make sense for my team? Yes, no. How would you enable that? And things like that. So mob programming mm -hmm. is one of those software engineering practices I have a bit of, uh, quite a bit of experience with. And I found it quite helpful. So that, yeah. that would be one thing. And yes, so Scrum Master is the person that should help the team to do these things. And apart from the technical aspects, what else should the, the Scrum Master bring? Um, in my experience, it, it's, it's this... This toolbox, so a good Scrum Master has a large toolbox with um, different approaches he can bring into the team. Um, so one, one of the things I like to think about is are the four stances. Uh, stances is kind of uh, some way, somehow he does things. So the first stance is the coaching mindset. Coaching mm -hmm. means instead of um, telling people what to do, always ask questions, powerful questions, active listening and things like that. 
This is okay. definitely very helpful. The second one is being a mentor, like one-on-one uh, -on -one sessions, um, ask them questions, guide people in a, in a direction. Teacher, sometimes a Scrum Master needs to be a teacher and just say, hey, this is how Scrum works. This is how we um, do things in, in a Scrum framework or in a Kanban approach. So teaching. And the last thing is uh, an advisor or a consultant when mm -hmm. he has ideas in that direction. So this is from a, a social aspect, um, the, the approach I would love to see. And then if you're coaching a software engineering team, I think it's definitely helpful if you have a clue about software engineering, the typical challenges. Yeah. Yeah. Some, sometimes I see in, in the teams that we, we have like a part-time Scrum Master, mm -hmm. part developer, part Scrum Master, mm -hmm. and they might bring the the technical aspects that you were mentioning before, mm -hmm. but they don't bring the other parts. That, that, that was the part that I was, I was asking about. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And here's the challenge because coaching the team or helping or enabling the team is just the first little step that mm -hmm. there is a product owner to be helped and enabled and coached. But then there is the organization that also needs to be improved. And then there is cross-collaboration between teams. You have typically you have not just one software team, you have two software teams and they work on one product and there is usually collaboration issues. And then you have different departments in an organization and the Scrum Master, it gets very interesting if you get out of the team and into mm -hmm. the other areas, product owner, cross team, across organization, processes across the organization. How does budgeting work? How does uh, how do we come up with ideas or design decisions? This is usually very interesting stuff. And if you are working in the team as a developer for 50% of your time and the rest of your time you're doing Scrum Mastery stuff, um, that doesn't work that well, in my experience. Yeah. Let's, let's, let's say that, that because you don't okay. have time to do the other stuff. Yeah. For those finding themselves on a team where they know they're having issues, is there something you would uh, tell these people just as, as, in, as a, a nudge now, just uh, something to get people started in the right direction? I mean, without calling you, that, was, <laughs> that would be one, one solution. <laughs> but is there, there something, how do I get started if, once I know I have a problem? Um, it depends a little bit from the situation of the team, but I, in general, there are two two ways I would recommend to do. Make it transparent. Make the issue, the, the observation, the, the problem, the smell, whatever you call it, make it transparent to everyone. Mm -hmm. And second, have a workshop, have a one-on-one -on -one with someone that has a, a, a strong opinion or that has the, the formal power to change things and get their buy-in. And Try to make it that way that it's not your problem, your solution, but it's always a team problem or team solution. Make it okay. transparent, bring it to the team. And yeah. I get actually the, the Gänsehaut, how do you call it in, in English? Goosebumps. Goosebumps, yeah. yeah. I, I, I get goosebumps when I think about the workshops, when you, you get this, this moment in the team where they enable, they think it's their problem and their solution and they have an experience. Okay, let's try this. This is very exciting and mm -hmm. this gives me my, this makes my day. And um, <laughs> if you can do that, that's awesome. You don't need an, uh, someone like me to, to, to do run these workshops. You can do that by yourself, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> Transparency for the win. 
Great. Well, well, thank you for your wise words, and <laughs> I, I hope it's, it will help some teams. Uh, I will uh, link to your um, your Twitter account at least, uh, so cool. so if people want to get in touch. Sweet. Yeah. So th thank you for being my guest today. That was really really interesting and not so technical uh, for a change. So yeah. thank you for that. <laughs> We didn't talk about .NET five. Sorry for that. <laughs> Thank yeah. you, Kerry. .NET 5 is so old school now. Ah, <laughs> no more. But, no more talking about .NET 5. <laughs> ah, it's core now, is it? No, .NET 6 is the new new hotness. Ah, okay, yeah. I didn't get it. Core is core is dead. Dead. Yeah. All right. Okay. <laughs> Thank you, Peter, and have a good day. Thank you too. Thank you, Kerry. Bye bye. This has been another episode of Dev Talk, and we'll see each other again in two weeks. Bye bye.